You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. Hey, Curly Pop, what's up? Uh, you know what? I am tired. How are you? <laughs> it's Thursday night. It is Thursday. I got a summer Friday tomorrow. I do not. No. But I, you know what? I could start uh, having a glass of wine at like two in the afternoon. Be summer Friday-ish. Yes. Just while still adjacent. The way that like working from home um, makes me a more efficient worker, but also just a banana bread person is crazy. Yeah. The, my like eating habits are just so insane. Yeah. Um, (laughs) my my, like day-to-day processes of like carrying my laptop around the apartment and only to do work laying fully supine on the couch. (laughs) Uh, but I've gotten into my like weird little routines now. Yeah. I need them. Well, it's funny because I was in the office for a while before the Delta variant struck. Please get vaccinated and wear your masks. Um, and now that I'm back out, I'm like, wow, the office sucks. I never <laughs> want to go back. It was fun for socializing purposes for like a minute. Yeah. And then you realize that um, I don't want to have to talk to other people. <laughs> my coworkers are also normies. And by that, I mean, they think it's weird. I have a Dean one <laughs> podcast. But listen... <laughs> Listen, I um I was telling some of my coworkers about the Teen Wolf podcast, and I said verbatim, it is a podcast about MTV's Teen Wolf, and then I said a few other things after that, and my boss goes, Julia, what's your podcast about? You want me and to? I, like I I, I don't know. <laughs> I was at a work function, like I had to meet with clients, and my boss was like, Christian needs to leave to go record her Teen Wolf podcast. <laughs> And they were like, what? And then I had to explain to a bunch of finance professionals the podcast, which I am very proud of the work we do. I love oh, doing it. Love same. Doing it. But you know, when you, normies, right? And uh, they were like, that's so fun. And I explained it in the most professional, like, pretentious way possible. Critical I was like, analysis. I like, yeah, I was like, I'm actually a TV critic. <laughs> I am. What else would you call this? Anywho. It's true. And my boss was like, the next day was like, I'm, I realized after I said what you were going to go do that that might have been embarrassing for you, but you sounded really smart when you were talking about it. And I was like, well, as long as I sounded smart. It's like, do you, do you think that I should be embarrassed? Yeah. Hey. hey. Hold on. Because I am not. Um, no. Most we said of the this time. last episode. Last episode, we have no shame. Absolutely none. Last episode of the Teen Wolf Free Wolf, a podcast where we talk about MTV's Teen Wolf. My name is Christian. And I'm Julia. And we are proud to talk about MTV's Teen Wolf. And also, if I wasn't, that would be a major poo-poo on our amazing community of listeners. Yeah, we've been we have been in the trenches of Teen Wolf for the last two years yeah. with all of you and having a great time. Yeah. So Yeah. We've made friends. We've shared memes. We have had serious disagreements. (laughs) Laughed a lot, made a lot of dumb jokes. Yeah, good thing that that part of our lives gets to continue after the podcast. Oh, yeah. This Teen Wolf Rewolf headquarters is dumb joke central. Oh, stupidity (laughs) on high. (laughs) Uh, Anywho, so we're talking about uh, season six, episode four, Relics today. That we are. It was written by Eric Wallace and directed by Tim Andrew, so people were very familiar with. This was a very Tim Andrew episode. It was, like, really dark, and there was so much slow motion. He was trying to make a point. He was trying to emphasize. It being the dark. The emotional and, beats. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and the fact that it's dark. 
I will say, this is the first episode that's kind of bored me. Mm. The stakes felt a little low um, because we sort you can just foresee the ending. Like you just know from the beginning that everyone's going to be gone and you're like, okay. So that kind of made the B plots a little bit more interesting, Um, which happens. That happens in every show. But I was like, given the like kind of high we were riding on the first three episodes, I was Mm -hmm. like, "Mm, okay. It's funny because I feel like screen time wise and like pacing wise, everything is divided up pretty well. Um, But there's no real sense of urgency. Which is, yeah. Yeah, necessary. Yeah. Uh, and we'll get to that. And, you know, maybe that's why we're, we're talking about it through the theme we're talking about it through. But first, we do have to do the 60-second recap. And you, my dear friend, are going first. That is just massively unfair. <laughs> not because it's not my turn, just because I just don't want to do it. <laughs> um, well, you know what? You get a summer Friday tomorrow. So oh, that's fair. You're right. It works out. Uh-huh. Um, and because you're never ready, I'm just not even going to ask. I am going to give you a minute on the clock starting right now. So Chris and Melissa are in the woods because she's like, I'm going to start helping you guys. And then they find a bunch of dead bicyclists. Wow. And then they're like, there's a monster here. And then it turns out it's Malia. And Chris like clips her with his gun. And she's like, I've smelled dead people. I came running. And he's like, you were like feral anyway she pulls her the bullet out of her arm herself which is badass uh hayden tells gwen that she's going to follow her on school all day until they figure out uh if until they can figure out how to track the lightning and they figure out how to track it and then lydia explains relics and she's like people are leaving stuff behind that's how we can bring styles back anyway mason and liam fight about what to do about the lacrosse players who all saw the wild hunt and then they plan to bring everybody to the Argent's bunker the sheriff tells lydia that he found an old baseball bat and yelled the name styles uh, the baby pack bring the whole team to the bunker and uh, they lose Gwen and Scott goes out to find her but brings Corey and all the baby pack with him because they're like, we're going to go. And then Lydia searches the Stilinski house for a relic and then upstairs she like rips the wallpaper where Styles' room is and Claudia's like, um, get the fuck out of my house. Anyway, um, Chris and Malia, Chris brings Malia to the bunker and he's like, you need to help protect people and like you need to gain control because you're beginning to act like Kate so I'm going to make you not act like, what the hell? I think it was the word bicycle. Yeah, why <laughs> couldn't I say that? I just dropped my phone. <laughs> I got so angry about the fact that I couldn't get a word out. I, you know what? It's like when you're trying to start a lawnmower. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. Actually, wait, how? No, it's like, you know how like an old timey, old timey, like push lawnmowers, you got to like yank it. Yeah. A couple times to start the motor. Yeah. Or like kickstart on your motorcycle or something. You you were just not being able to rev oh, like hard. The motor get, was not to, going. To get the words out. Yeah. yeah. I also kind of suffer from mush mouth as I think our <laughs> listeners understand. I, I skip syllables in favor of speed. So that doesn't help. Yeah. Um, I don't know. In. In fairness, my brain just sometimes decides that it is um, buffering. It's loading. Yeah. Wait, what were the words you couldn't say when you were little? Oh, I don't know. I was very loquacious as a child. So. <laughs> yeah, you just said the word loquacious. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. Um, my mom always jokes that my little sister doesn't talk too much because I did all the talking for her. So. You know what's funny? Yeah. You're also a loquacious adult. <laughs> I really am. I don't know. It's one of those like nature versus nurture full-on nature yeah it's yeah by nature part of me you are a talker Mm -hmm. um i had trouble with some l words like the word literally also still throws me sometimes (laughs) but literally and yellow really got me i don't know why yeah yo i said lello oh okay got it yeah uh well my whole family when we're um like just being like i love you we say Mm -hmm. babu because my little sister could not say love you she'd say babu that's cute. Yeah. My dad used to sign our cards olive juice because it sounds like I love you. That's very cute. Yeah. 
Um, are you ready to definitely do better than I did on the recap? I don't know. I mean, I didn't look at my notes, so. I mean, maybe that was where I failed. Maybe I would have practiced saying the word bicyclists. <laughs> I think I could have just said cyclist. You certainly could. I really could have. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, hindsight's 50-50. On your mark, get set, go. Chris and Melissa are out in the woods and she wants to help um, and they are looking for the head biter and they find a bunch of like two dead bikers and uh, Chris sees Malia um, she's like totally out of control uh, Scott Lehman Corey and Mason are trying to figure out how the ghost riders got in through the lightning Malia heard screams and is like uh, I'm going to take the bullet out by myself thanks um, everybody's at school they're trying to protect Gwen they're doing some library plotting and tracking the thunderstorms people who disappear leave relics they find out so they're like we got to find a Styles relic on um, the baby pack decides to go hide everyone in the Argent bunker um, and the sheriff finds a baseball bat and he's like I was yelling at a name because uh styles is connected to the baseball bat and the boys go to the lacrosse game lydia wants to search the stalinsky house and has like another hallucination of a person at the train station claudia stops her from peeling back the wallpaper on styles's room chris wants to help malia like chill out gwen wants to be taken the boys have to play lacrosse for some reason to save the players natalie and lydia um talk about claudia because uh something seems kind of off there's a good little lacrosse game um Sydney and uh, Brett's sister Lori are there. People start to panic in the bunker. Emilia comes them down, but not before she realizes that someone oh, is missing. Oh, you are done, my friend. That really did not feel like a minute. No, I was. I thought I was hoofing it. Yeah. Mispronunciations aside. Um. Well, it didn't feel like a minute for either of us, but we still should probably wrap up the rest of the episode. Do you want to tell us what happened? Uh, yeah, okay, so basically the Wild Hunt shows up and starts grabbing people, including some people in the stands who we didn't know saw them at the party, or maybe they were there. Um, Mason figures out that the reason that the um, ghost hunters left at the last party is because Paris showed up and he's a hellhound so um they think that maybe he'll be able to scare them away again which kind of works but it also kind of doesn't um and one of the lacrosse kids decides that he's going to leave the bunker which leaves it open and vulnerable to uh the ghost writers and Malia and Chris like give it their best um but they are seriously hurt and all of the kids are disappeared um Lydia and her mom go to ask Melissa to look at Claudia's medical records and they find that she's never had a pregnancy but her frontotemporal dementia is still listed on her medical records and um Scott's like you know what maybe Styles doesn't exist we're just gonna look for someone else we're gonna try to figure out what to do with all these people. Liam feels super, super guilty. Um, and then he gets made lacrosse captain, which I'm sure makes him feel even guiltier mm-hmm. and weirder. Yep. Um, and then he's like, I'm going to catch one of these. And the baby pack is like, we're with you. And they slow-mo walk past Styles's Jeep. That slow-mo walk was so <laughs> lame. Tim, I know. I know you love the slow-mo. And sometimes I think it's really effective. But that was cheesy as hell. <laughs> they are really Just- trying so hard to establish the baby pack for the future uh because scott's gonna graduate and i don't know what they thought teen wolf was gonna look like yeah but i don't need the slow-mo no so it it felt like (laughs) it felt like bad superhero movie and like we know we compare superhero to movies to teen wolf all the time literally all the time yes sometimes more successfully than others yeah yeah (laughs) i'm not i'm not i'm not examining my failures here um but anyway we're gonna be talking about this episode through the theme of futility uh kind of seems like nobody gets anything done this episode is frustrating to watch in that way because like i said you know the end game it's not all that interesting to watch it play out yeah i think to your point the other plots are way more interesting at this point um like 
we want to know what's going on with Claudia. She seems super fishy. Um, Lydia seems to be the only one who's really interested in getting Styles back, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense because we're we're dealing with kind of like the ramifications of Corey exposing everybody in that house to the Ghost Riders. COVID super spreader. <laughs> it was an event. Yeah. Um, and everybody is doing what they can. In this situation, Scott is, like, really a person who wants to save everyone, but it kind of feels like they would have accomplished more if they had just concentrated their efforts on, like, the Ghost Riders themselves rather than protecting all of those people. I don't know. Where would you like to start? You know, I think I want to start with the baby pack. Let's do it. Um, Also Scott, by extension, because he's sort of... It's, you know, funny, because when Styles isn't around... The other members of the, of the big pack will just sort of do whatever, like, be on their own. And so Scott really is like, look at my babies. And, like, it's trailing. He's like a mama duck. My children. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting. You know, I think the big sort of conflict there is that Mason and Liam can't agree on how they're supposed to best protect the lacrosse players. You know? Mm-hmm. I do appreciate that it, everyone seems forgiven, um, on the exposing the party to the Ghost Riders. Um, that would have been a really boring season five type of plot line to try to drag out. But it's interesting to me that there is an, a, a little bit of my way or the highway type of debacle between uh, Mason and Liam, which is something that we have not seen yet, right? Yeah, not really. They are typically very much um, in sync and I think that the, a lot of this is just a continuation of Liam's real feeling that once Scott leaves, he will be the alpha and he wants to be taken seriously. Yeah, totally, totally. And, you know, given the fact that Liam's main observations of Scott have now been through season um, five, where him and Styles were at odds, and now this, where there's no Styles around, he doesn't really sort of see how the one-two command kind of functions in a pack. Like, how important it is to check each other. And when you are operating on the idea that your idea is the best, Mm -hmm. it's the only way, or, like, that's going to be the most successful way, that often leads to futility. You don't have a plan B. I think we talked about this in the last episode, that there's no fault, like, there's no plan guy, there's no, like, alternate situations. And when you, when your only strategy, when, when you only have one strategy you're pursuing, yeah, that's probably pretty futile because you are not taking into account that that could be a failure, which it is. Yeah. Ultimately. It's interesting to me because we've discussed whether Mason is supposed to be the second generation Styles or Lydia. And I think this is an interesting combination of him being both mm-hmm. because he's so interested in the way that you can like track thunderstorms and like the lightning strikes and we can use this science to our advantage. And he like has the plans. He's the one kind of figuring things out on the fly, but he really lacks Styles's capability to consider all scenarios, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't, doesn't really make him that much of a help to Liam. Well, no, I think the issue is that they like I said, aren't really working together. And Mm -hmm. he's also like, 
new at this. Styles wasn't really that good at making plans in season one. That's true. It's just interesting to see the way that these like pack dynamics are evolving, um, especially because it's we have had to specifically call them out as baby pack and big pack mm-hmm. because they seem to be operating very separately. Yeah, lately. Um, so they're clearly not working um, collaboratively or seeing how any of that is supposed to work. Um, and they also don't have a lot of input from not necessarily the adults, but like the Derricks and the Peters of the world. I, that totally has to be a part of it. And, you know, like I think they're the most frustrating thing is that they're playing a fool's game in this mm-hmm. episode. And um, as you watch them kind of debate these plans, you're sort of like, don't you see that n- none of them are going to work? Why mm-hmm. would you not try all of them? Like you have to just start seeing, like you have to start planning for the worst at all time. And maybe that brings into a little bit of our theme from last episode, arrogance. Um, but it feels like when they're in this, they're, they are at, a, at an impasse, which is making them so, they're both so guilt ridden about the party. They're both trying so hard to work through this and to, to, to step up to what, you know, Scott is that they can't listen to each other, which again brings forward this feeling of futility. Only my plan will work. We have to do this. And of course, in actuality, if they had done both, it might have worked better. I don't actually know if the lightning rod would have done all that much, but like, yeah, yeah. who's to say? It's really interesting to juxtapose the desires of Liam and, and Scott, like the whole pack really just wants to save all of these people and they're running into um this conflict with Gwen is the person who comes most easily to mind Uh where she just wants to be taken she has decided that like whatever is going on and whatever they have to do or sacrifice to save her that's not worth it Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I mean, she doesn't really get to articulate this because she's not a super well fleshed out character at this point, but if she gets taken, maybe she finds her sister. Yeah. And she seems to be kind of the only person who is considering that as a possibility and potentially a positive. Yeah. I think that's interesting that no one, because, you know, obviously, um, the only person who would have any indication that like these people are being taken anywhere is Lydia. Mm -hmm. Um, not that I could see any of the pack members like electing to sacrifice anyone to go see what's on the other side, but it does feel like there's another side and Gwen can feel it. And she wants there because it, you know, there's a chance to either save her sister or just, you know, not have to deal with the life she's living. And that's mm-hmm. incredibly sad. Also maybe a representation of futility. It's like, you just got to let it happen. Um, and it's interesting to me that like, well, it's so like the Scott McCall trickle down effect of like Mason's values are aligned with Scott's because that's who he learned from. Yeah. I could use a little bit of somebody with an agenda, you know, I used to, I loved when like somebody was helping the pack because they had something else in mind. We haven't really had that in a while. I mean, like, Theo, but not really, you know. I miss Peter. Peter. I, I mean, miss yeah. him. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I find that so interesting. And another aspect of the futility of this episode that doesn't really have um, anything to do with these people being taken and has everything to do with the fact that Scott and his friends are exposing a large group of people to the idea that he's supernatural. 
Yeah. And there are werewolves in Beacon Hills. Even if they don't know the specifics, they know that something weird is going on. Well, I thought it was fascinating that Liam's first attempt to get people in the bunker was telling them the truth. Mm Mm-hmm. I will say that does feel slightly like they should have talked about it first, you know? Yeah, definitely. Well, they have they have been so careful in the past about who do you let into the inner sanctum, not for the consideration of their own safety, but the for the safety of other people. Yes. Um and in this particular scenario, I get why Liam maybe feels that it is appropriate to kind of break that little um barrier Uh because these people are in danger um but because like any sane person and it's weird that chris doesn't say anything about this yeah um it's weird that chris doesn't point out the futility of all of this and because it is futile do you really want to put yourself in a situation where people are going to learn about you even if they're taken or if they're not then they walk around knowing that you guys are freaks at the like best yeah werewolves at most yeah it's just P- interesting it's, it's the peter parker dilemma and it's yeah. really weird that it's not actually engaged with i told you i'd bring mm-hmm. it back to superheroes always spider-man he is <laughs> like the most popular character in the marvel canon so mm-hmm. um yeah it's interesting i i i often feel like futility is bred from miscommunication and that feels like what's happening right here or um even pride yeah um scott it's funny doesn't really feel like that much of a decision maker in this episode pretty much the only decision he makes is that they're going to make goods that they're going to play lacrosse i think just to be bodies on the field in case the wild hunt come along i never say no to a lacrosse scene because they're fun this one just didn't feel like it had a reason (laughs) no they weren't even playing and they did some sort of weird moment where all of the people on the field are like fighting with each other because the wild hunt inspires fisticuffs. I don't know. Well, I think that's actually supposed to be laying the ground for six B. I, I think so. I actually said this to you while we were watching that a lot of what's happening in this episode lays the groundwork for six B. Um, which is fine. It's just interesting and it doesn't really feel like it is furthering um, any kind of plot. I would have um, greatly enjoyed uh, seeing more of like Parrish interact with the Ghost Riders yeah. than I would have the lacrosse stuff. Yeah, and I also feel like it was lack, it was um, preventing us from seeing other sort of more interesting things. Like, I actually think Hayden had something interesting to do in this episode where she is deciding to protect Gwen and, like, follow her around, which Hayden is not often given interesting things to do, so that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, even Hayden again, like, she's... It's, it's a no-win scenario. Like, you know the whole time that Gwen will get taken. And you are sort of um, sympathetic the fact that Hayden wants so badly to protect her... Um, but knowing she can't, it just is, I mean, obviously this episode is supposed to frustrate you. What am I saying? It's supposed to, it makes you, it's frustrating. Um, shall we move on? Yes. Let's, where should we go next? I want to talk about Chris and Malia. An unlikely pair if I've ever heard one, but they, they should, I loved it. It was so interesting. The man needs a daughter. The man does need a daughter. Oh, that's fucking sad. It is sad. But I do like that they have given Chris the opportunity to interact with the other younger female characters on this show. Because 
he is such a good dad and also I think is still really working towards like redemption Mm -hmm. um because there was a time when he really wasn't a very good dad um and he lost he lost his daughter like he's just gonna spend the rest of his life trying to get through that and making up for it um so not to not to be a huge bummer but it is nice to see him no it totally is and I think and I think that's why you know we saw him interact with Lydia in the last season I think we uh, the writers are playing to the strengths a little bit of the actor in that place where like you know that that is something that really sort of comes across in the way that J.R. Bourne kind of carries his character. And of course that's interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I also liked seeing a little bit more flirty flirt with Melissa and Chris. They're dating. They're so dating. Oh, I They're love it. Dating. Um, also the having them date in season six after we've lost Allison and that, like Allison and Scott hadn't been together at the time that they that she was lost is like mm-hmm. if they had gotten together at some point in season four it would have been like Ew. Ew. <laughs> but like because it's, yeah it's great yeah um but Chris and Malia Chris and Malia I think that Malia is sort of decided that there's no she she's not getting better in a type of way mm-hmm. and I think that Chris has been like I've lost this battle before I've lost this battle before with Kate I can't lose it again you have to do something about regaining your humanity. It's weird because he's basically trying to redo what Styles did. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because Chris understands fundamentally that like loss of control has nothing to do with being supernatural. And he's had, it took him a long time to learn that to start understanding that what Kate went through was like a complete like inability to process like emotion and like empathy and stuff. And it doesn't actually have to do with your, um, you know natural tendencies yeah um and i think it's really interesting that like malia is like i just yeah i just i'm a coyote so that's what i do and he's like no you don't have to be i think he it's so interesting to bring up kate one clearly she's still out there oh yeah somewhere alive confirmed (laughs) um and obviously to chris it is like futile meaningless he will get nothing out of trying to bring kate back Mm -hmm. uh to her humanity in literally any way because it was gone even before she became a nawal yes um and so it's so interesting because i don't think that i would have sat there and made the connection between the two of them but that's what's cool about having her interact with Chris because he is like uniquely primed to see that happening in her. Yeah. Um, and also to not blame her and be putting the spin on it where he's like, it's my responsibility to tell you this. Um, because I don't think it's futile. Yeah. I don't think what you're doing. Um, like I think you have the capacity. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's interesting because he has decided that obviously you can't bring Kate back. He tried. He tried to to make Kate a justifiable person in his life. And now he's looking at somebody who he thinks he can bring back from an like a ledge he sees them standing on. And Malia sort of thinks that that is futile. Mm-hmm. Which is sad because it kind of reflects that like probably at the beginning of Malia's like um empathy training from styles she was like this isn't worth it i'll never be anything else which is interesting um and i don't necessarily think of malia as being a like fatalistic person but i think she sees herself as being 
hyper realistic and they are sort of at um odds in how she is supposed to be living her life and it it probably feels a little bit like fuck you dad (laughs) um but you're right like chris does see something in her and and wants to change that because he couldn't change it in kate yeah it's um it's so interesting. I think one of the benefits to having this um, plot line of season six is that it's allowing us to revisit certain traumas that characters haven't really been able to talk about. Like Malia just gets integrated into society. Yeah. Um, and we do see Styles like working with her and it's really hard, but he seems to be like the only one and we don't really get to delve into a lot of what Malia's going through a lot yeah, of the time. I will say that was a huge um, negative part of four and five is that we don't have a home life for Malia. Yeah. She's like one of the only characters we don't have a home life for because like we know her dad um, kind of, we've met him like twice, but we know Styles' home life. We know Kiro's, we know Lydia's, we know Scott's, we know a little bit about Mason. I mean, not Mason, about Liam, um, but that's kind of, Mm-hmm. It's weird, you know, that she's such a mainstay and we know nothing about what she goes home to. Yeah. So it's nice to give her an adult. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's interesting. I think it's a really good sort of exercise for the two of them. I mean, like we always say, like anytime characters who you don't expect to be paired up are paired up, it's always really fun to watch. It's such a... It, 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 we're so deep that any new dynamics explored are is really refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was interesting uh, to me. I also, like I said, love the Melissa Chris aspect. She's trying so hard to be. She's like, I'm going to be a part of this. But like, I a little think that that is um, disregarding the fact that Melissa has done more to save the people in this pack than like pretty much anyone else it's in the show. It's super reductive. I hated that. Um, I mean, I, I don't think that that's how the show views her, but um, I guess it would make sense if we explored it literally at all, um, that Melissa feels like she could be doing more. Um, but like Melissa has seen berserkers like she has saved people from dying over and over and over again i'll just like, she, we can just name people danny like lydia she has saved so many people yeah um but you know i think she sees uh how physically involved other people are and she wants to help um or maybe we can just attribute it to that she just has a real big crush on daddy argent uh, me too. But I also say it's probably <laughs> the futility of trying to prevent the saving she has to do later. Ah, if she's in the field, mm-hmm. she doesn't have to do it later, but she does. You know, that's a futile, that's, that's a futile um, effort. Yeah. Shall we talk a little bit about Lydia and her mom? Talk about an effort that feels futile. I... Like, I, you know, when we first were talking about this season, we had a lot of our listeners jump in to be like, I think Lydia is the main character of this season. I wish she was getting the screen time that justified that. Mm-hmm. But she is. She in is. my mind, I, I don't give a shit what the other people <laughs> are doing. I, I feel like Holland Rudd, for the first time, is given, it, for the first time in a long time, is getting interesting material to work with that doesn't just center on her being, like, hysterical. Yeah. Ugh. She is the one person who is in the right in that she totally believes that there is something to this Styles thing mm-hmm. versus her friends who are like, I think we need to move on from this theory. 
Lydia knows that that's like the key to all of it. And as we've discussed before, she, her skills as a Banshee make her uniquely primed to be um, the hero in this particular situation Mm -hmm. and to be the problem solver. Um, And I think like a running theme of Lydia's existence as a Banshee is just futility. Like she gets pushed and pulled and she has no control over it. Um, Like inevitably she ends up where the bodies are or, you know, stuff like that. You know, I have to say that the thing that really flips that on the, on its head this season is that her efforts are not futile and Mm -hmm. everybody else is assigning that like category to her. Yeah. And it, that, well, one, it sucks to have people tell you that the work you've done is not useful to them, which it totally is. And I say this, I think I've said this before on the podcast, I'll say it a million times. I remember like sitting in like acting two <laughs> and having one of my professors be like, never let a man call you crazy. It is the worst thing a man can call a woman. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone's calling Lydia crazy in this episode, but they are taking away her agency by telling her, oh, well, like you've been following a false trail. Like you've been, this is nothing. Like you didn't do anything, but it, that is frustrating for us to watch, obviously, because we know that she's not following a false trail. But you know what kind of makes up for it, though? Hmm. Is that her mom finally, like, sits down, shuts up, and listens. Which is such an about face. I will say, I feel like they're retconning a lot of what we found from Natalie, which is frustrating. Well, I would... I would be so willing to um, sit there and believe that they have repaired their relationship and that Natalie has done a lot of soul searching. Had we seen it? Had we seen it? Show us. I don't care about the boys. I just, I don't. I don't. (laughs) I mean, there are certain things where I'm like, this is a good brain exercise for me to think about like why people think this or, you know, I am not asking for any explicit reasoning about why certain memories stick or certain relationships stick when certain people disappear. Like I'm not asking for any of that because Mm -hmm. they're doing a really good job. That's futile. (laughs) It is futile. And like, I think that they're doing a good job of, um, showing us instead of telling us, Mm -hmm. um, versus that the whole Natalie thing, they're just telling us that they made up. Yeah. And I, I want that explanation because that matters to me emotionally um, as a person who cares about the show and who cares about these characters. And I think, I don't know. It's just, Oh, it's so frustrating. Yeah. Well, I will say the last time that we saw Natalie sort of like jump in and like act sympathetic to Lydia's needs is season three when she tells her she doesn't have to go to school because she's got the garage marking, like the, Mm -hmm. the, um, what are the, what's it called? The like, um, it starts with an L. Ligatures? Ligatures. Mm-hmm. On her neck, yes. Wow, pulled that out of nowhere. I was really <laughs> amazed. <laughs> oh, yeah. vocabulary with Christian and Julia. Uh, Watch that be wrong, but I think it is right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the ligature marks on mm-hmm. her neck. Um, and so it does, like you said, feel like an about face. But it's really interesting to me that they obviously... It's about like perception versus reality in their case. Where like... Scott, Liam, Mason, everyone there, losing battle. Mm-hmm. Losing battle. They can't do anything. They're wasting energy almost, basically. Um, Parrish probably had to take some PTO to get there. So, <laughs> um, But Lydia 
is putting in like real effort towards something that is incredible and actually gives us one of the biggest clues to the puzzle mm-hmm. by finding out that Claudia's frontotemporal dementia is still in her uh, medical charts. And of course, the birth wouldn't be there because they risked all records, like all of Styles is gone. So that wouldn't be there anyway, but you can't get rid of a diagnosis that had nothing to do with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, I'd love to be surprised by getting an explanation as to why Claudia's back, but still, I don't care. It's such a good element of this story. I think that they like explain that she's like a psychosomatic type of mm. mass hallucination that like Chris, not Chris, but, um, sheriff needed her there so badly that she came interesting yeah um no that would be very cool i mean somebody will correct me on twitter if i say that so i'll find out um (laughs) yeah but she gets lydia gets results she does she does and she's right and i love that lydia acts on her instincts um the claudia thing is crazy claudia is now starting to feel like a bad actor oh suspicious 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 I don't mean bad actor actors and that actress is a bad actor. She's great. Yeah. She actually is really compelling. I think that's half part of the reason mm-hmm. because when she's around the sheriff, she's so sweet, but Lydia yeah. comes poking around and it feels insidious. It is so the interaction that they have when Lydia is peeling the wallpaper off of the wall, because I'm trying to imagine like, okay, swap myself into that scenario. Mm-hmm. She's so harsh. Mm-hmm. Claudia is so harsh with Lydia and like, Lydia even says you're hurting me like when Mm -hmm. she grabs her wrist and like murderous looks like she's so furious about it and it's like well you know what you know if this if Claudia were a normal person it's like oh honey we can fix it are you okay yeah like what's going on here um it, it is really really good and it's it's not subtle but it's like actually building it feels like it's actually building to something versus uh, in past seasons when we've seen them just like drop shit into an episode and you're like, am I supposed to make meaning out of this? Yeah. I, I have no idea that I'm busy. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Do you want to move into Q's and O's? Let's, let's do it. Uh, do you have any questions? I do not. I have a question. Yeah. How the hell does Chris see the writers? Was Malia at that party? How can she see them? I don't know. I don't know. I th- it's just inconsistent. Well, okay, but also, one, I do think that Chris gets taken. I think I remember that. And two, um, when the Ghost Riders show up on the lacrosse field, there are people in the stands mm-hmm. standing up who presumably were not at the party because they were not corralled into the bunker. Okay. So, so you're this, he's just, he watched the videotape, is that what you're telling me? I guess so. Okay. And he's going to die in seven days ring bonus i guess we both love the ring we do um okay that was my only question but hey you know what's banana bread you had a question and you didn't (laughs) uh yeah i felt like this is pretty straightforward yeah yeah do you have any o's yeah um okay we didn't talk about this really at all but there's like a really at the beginning of this episode um there are two cyclists who are First of all, it makes no goddamn sense because it's 2 a.m. and uh, they died a minute ago because that girl was still alive. Timeline-wise, that that doesn't make any sense to me. But um, it is so unbelievably funny because instead of just taking their helmets off, he bit through their helmets to bite into their brain. How fucking long are, are his teeth? 
I don't know. Um, I mean, it can crush a skull. Which no, is no, 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 no. Crushing hard. a skull means fuck nothing. Like, it's actually digging through the yeah. helmet that I'm... Yeah. It's like you could have just... This, it, this there's werewolf a is a saber-toothed tiger. <laughs> like, there's a little plastic clasp. It takes nothing. You could even rip it off. Yeah. It, me- it means nothing. It's just so funny. It's so stupid. It actually reminds me of uh, the little part in Enchanted when they throw the poison apple over the bridge and it lands on a biker's helmet. Starts burning <laughs> yeah. his helmet. Um, yeah, that just seemed really dumb. Enchanted bonus up? I love that movie. I know you love that movie. I love that movie so much. Um, I really... Um, oh, sorry. There's one when Hayden um, is talking to Gwen and she's like, I'm going to follow you everywhere. And then Gwen's like, I'm going to the bathroom. And Hayden's like, I'll wait out here. That's weird. Girls go in the bathroom with with her. Is it a single stall? Okay, maybe. But no, it just looked like a regular ladies room. Girlies be going to the bathroom together. Yeah, it's one of the great mysteries of life for men. It's where we we chat. (laughs) It's where we practice witchcraft. Um, We deliberate and then we plot. Uh, yes, it's where all of our secret government meetings are held. Exactly. <laughs> in the ladies' bathroom. Um, we peel off our skin suits <laughs> and reveal aliens. So, uh, And then, randomly, yeah. at the lacrosse game, uh-huh. um, Sydney is there with Brett's sister, Lori. Hey, Lori. They're- I like to think that they're... Dating. They're dating. dating. They're totally dating. They're gay for each There's other and they're dating. There's absolutely no... Um, like, f- like female queer rep in the show other than that one bisexual girl whose girlfriend got killed. Yeah. Teen Wolf, like, le- we're so progressive. Not a, s- nary a single lesbian. Na- nary a willaboo. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, they're dating. I've Yeah. We're we're bringing the representation to the table. <laughs> Head cannon. <laughs> Um, Sydney and Lori are dating. Cool. Uh, what do you have any observations you'd like to share with the class? Fucking baller that Malia <laughs> just pulls that bullet out. She's so so recently we had this big conversation <laughs> with a couple of our friends who are watching Teen Wolf for the first time because we're menaces and obviously like Duh. our influence proliferates. And they were all talking what characters of Teen Wolf we would like what roles we would fill within the friend group. And they told me I was Malia. And when she pulled that bullet out, I was like, that was the biggest compliment anybody could have ever given me. I think it's just because I wear a lot of denim shorts. <laughs> Not a lot of people can um, pull those off with such confidence. So are you telling me I am overconfident? No, I'm saying way? that you look, you look great in denim shorts and you wear them like, you know, that you are looking great in denim shorts. Thank you. It's the fake tan. And the squats. Helps. Helps. Yep. Anything um, helps. Yeah. Um, Amazing that they didn't just have Malia do that from the get-go. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, Melissa's trying so no, no, hard. No, no, Because I kind of like that <laughs> Melissa... Haha, it's futile that Melissa can't get the bullet out. I love that Malia's like, I'll do it myself. Eat shit. <laughs> and also that Chris is really trying to help her yeah. um, by, like, giving her something to claw onto wait actually i do have a question but it's for you yeah if you left a relic behind what do you think it would be like what do you think you would leave it'd probably be one of my journals because that would be the most embarrassing thing (laughs) that i could leave (laughs) like you just know the thing you leave behind would be embarrassing yeah okay or i don't know i mean like i also you know have been pouring my heart and soul into them for 10 years so that's like Oh. That probably holds the most, most significance. Yeah. yeah. What about you? What, what would be your relic? 
My sunglasses. <laughs> they don't go away. I did find your sun. I did magically find your lost sunglasses. Oh yeah, the you other did. Day, so. The crazy thing is that I didn't know they were lost, <laughs> but they always come back to me. Like I like it's that shape and the mirrored lenses. Mm-hmm. I have had a million pairs. I'm never giving them up. Yeah. My sunglasses. Also, inside at night, I'm wearing them. Um, okay, observations. My second observation is that we kept on talking about how low the stakes were because we knew the end game of this um, episode. And obviously, I think survivor's guilt is a really interesting uh, emotion to play up, especially for Liam. Um because that grief is even more impacted by the captaincy. But I really, really think if they had saved one person, it would have hit more. Yeah. I think losing everybody, it's like, okay, well, we knew that was going to happen. We lost, we could only save one is a far more interesting stake. I agree. Yeah. Um, What else? Oh, I really liked the vest that Mason was wearing. Mason is very stylish. It was like a chunky knit vest. Dude, everybody was looking really good. Oh, Liam looked great in his little Henley. Green, buttoned all the way up. His hair looks excellent this season. Yeah, I, Teen Wolf like <laughs> gets better when they start letting the male actors grow their hair out. <laughs> Except yeah. for Taylor Posey, when they cut his hair, it looked better. Yeah. Yeah. But also, like, I think part of it is just that, like, now Dylan Sprayberry looks older. He, he looks does. like a little baby. In the first season, but he he, was in, so. he looks like a a grownish man. Person. He looks slightly older, yes, yeah. slightly. Um, yeah, I liked the costuming in this episode. Too dark, too much slow mo. <laughs> Stakes low. Yeah, I think that wraps it up, though. I think so. Well, I would like to hear our pack stats. Yeah, we had five eyes, a lot of roaring, a lot of roaring going on. Everybody was just yelling at the ghostwriters like that was going to help. Hayden, to her credit decides to go after one of them. So does Liam knocks him off his horse. Um, no shirts. Um, there was an apple ad, which I wasn't going to count, but then who has, who has an, an apple product? They, uh, Mason had a, a, a Mac in the library. Cool. And there was something else about it that I was like, you know, I'm just going to ignore it. Cause I think it's just a laptop, but then there was something else that I was like, Oh no, I have to write that down. Mm-hmm. Can't remember why. And then, um, anytime that you see the kids in lacrosse, uh, gear it's, it's Nike. Nike yeah um I feel like it used to be Adidas was the first couple seasons Adidas you might be thinking of the University of Michigan oh you're right <laughs> <laughs> I totally forgot wow yeah. for context the University of Michigan for our first two years at college were all of the Michigan gear was made by Adidas and then by our last year it was Nike it was a big deal it was a big deal yeah yeah um yeah, but no sirens. Oh, yeah. It's been a while. Not knock wood. Yeah. Not inviting them. Well, actually, I had a bunch of sirens going during my meetings today, and I kept mm-hmm. having to go on mute because people were like, um, is everything okay? And I'm like, yeah, I just live by a fire station. That every day of my life. Which I actually, like, uh, the sirens don't bother me at all. No, but it's like as soon as you have to speak, yeah, you open your mouth and the sirens start going. Yeah, yeah. Or people start yelling outside the window i love living in chicago it's great um do you have an alpha of the week chris chris totally i just love seeing him and he's trying really hard to be a good dude he has been a good dude for so long and he's just continuing to he's just really committed he's committed yeah good where's isaac what did you do with him isaac is isaac graduated early from french school yeah and he's in college 
and he's doing great. French school actually ends slightly earlier than... Well, then he didn't graduate early. He's just in college. Yeah. I think they only do three years of university, too. He is eating a lot of bread. Okay. I would assume. Oh. Maybe he's not even living in France. Maybe he and Jackson found each other. Living in London? Hanging out. American werewolves in London. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think that concludes our discussion. Uh, if you like this episode, you guys do... We're back to bicyclists. <laughs> like this episode you guys can follow us on twitter at teen wolf underscore real wolf which is also our instagram handle you can follow us on tumblr at teen wolf real wolf and our facebook group is teen wolf real wolf podcast if you really liked this episode you can leave us a review on itunes if you leave us five stars and a review we'll do some commentary about it on the podcast and view shout out on twitter if you leave your twitter handle if you really really liked this podcast you guys can buy us a coffee ko-fi.com forward slash teen wolf real wolf you can also buy our stickers on redbubble i've got a couple in my laptop and people are like what does that mean and then i have to explain it anyway it's really fun though great conversation starter <laughs> we do that quite a lot apparently uh, truly any homest uh other than that i've been christian and i've been julia and we hope you guys have a wolf of a week uh, uh woo